Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording has been made for October 11th, 2020, the 19th Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. Our call to worship is the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long.
Let us pray. Lord, we have trust that your grace may always proceed and follow us, that we may continually be given over to good works. Make this possible through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Continuing on with the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. This is the closing chapter of Philippians, but not all of the closing verses. Paul, in the context of writing this letter, we find that Paul is currently in prison, but he's still corresponding with church communities. The letter that he is responding to mentioned that there was some conflict that was taking place in the community. Paul doesn't specify nor define what the level of conflict was, but he addresses it in this fourth chapter, that there are two workers who are in this community and of significance, significant leaders in this community who have a disagreement. And Paul encourages them once again to be of like mind and to recognize that whatever it is, that is their dispute. It is far more insignificant than the goal that they are pursuing together, which is to build the community of Christ. So he not only speaks to these two individuals in particular, but he speaks to the rest of the community. So that way they could use this as an object to, to learn and to grow and to realize that we can get carried away in our pursuits, but when we are called together to be the community of Christ, if our pursuits, if our motivations come into conflict with our ability to be able to convey the gospel, we should be mindful that the gospel takes precedent over our opinions on how we feel the work that we want to do is to get done. Paul always holds that as the first priority is to build the community of Christ as opposed to having our particular differences on how that is done. A reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Sinti to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, to help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, 
whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there be any excellence, and if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of this holy word. Let us pray. We come before you, gracious God, in order that we too might be of one heart and one mind, especially when it comes to observing the tenets of your gospel and living in accordance with that promise to love others as you have loved us. Help us to see our likeness in the churches that preceded us, the early churches, that as they were forming into, coming into their identity, they were struggling with how best to be the gospel. Perhaps maybe due to modernization, we have gotten away from those early pursuits, but the work that we are called to do as people of faith is no less different than those who preceded us. We still have differences of opinions and sometimes those stand in the way of our ability to truly convey our sense of love and support for you. So help us to cut through a lot of the discord that keeps us from being the people of God and help us once again to realize that the, the primary goal of our work as people of faith is to build a community, build a community of love and support. We cannot do these things without your support. So be with us in spirit and in truth. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts and be a gift to you. May you receive these things and may our offering well, give you joy. Bless, keep, and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so in the context of the early church, as it was forming, Paul would go to these neighboring communities and he would be able to preach the word of God. And, and as people listened to him and as they became more enamored with his presentation, they wanted to be baptized Christians. Now, once they were baptized and brought into the community, they had a choice. They could join Paul or those like him and become traveling missionaries, go around to neighboring towns and villages and continue the proclamation of God's word, or they could stay put in their community, get jobs, and continue to support the work of missionaries who are going around. So that we realize that this context is still pretty much the same, that we have individuals who will go off and who will start missions, and then we will have resident congregations who will stay put, and as part of their work in their local community, they also generate funds and resources so they can support those who are doing ministry at large. This could have been, we do not know if this was exactly the conflict between these two women, but this could have been one of the conflicts, that the conflict might have been how best to do the work of God and having two differing opinions. Let's say, for instance, one woman's like, it would be best if we actually went out in the open air, traveled, 
became traveling missionaries, go and impose ourselves upon the people who were in the area, eat what they set before us, sleep with the offerings that they give us, proclaim the gospel, and then move to the next town and village. And let's say the other woman is of the mind who's like, no, I think our work is best done here in this community because there are many ears and many individuals that we haven't fully touched, we haven't reached them all, we have plenty enough work to do right here and we don't need to be traveling and going to some great beyond in order to do the work of the gospel. Let's just imagine that perhaps this could have been the conflict that was taking place between these two workers, these two Christian women of faith. Now, Paul realizes that they both, their hearts are in the right place. They both have a desire to want to proclaim the gospel. How they want to go about it is what differs. But we know that when we have a pursuit of ours that is very important and very close to our heart, and there's someone who is in opposition of that, and we insist that our way is the one to be followed and they insist that their way is better to be followed, we can find ourselves at an impasse. Great many churches have come to an impasse over any number of things. One of the humorous anecdotes I like to tell is the first church that I served as an associate minister, I was reading the, the history log of that church. It was a rather extensive history, but the very first minister of that church and the very first council president of that church got into a scuffle over church carpeting. I believe that there was, a, it was like a $1,500 expense, which I would say in the 19th century was probably a sizable sum. The pastor felt it was unwise to use those funds for such a thing as carpeting, which was gonna have to be replaced in, at a later date. But the council president's like, no, we need this because it will adorn our space and make our space more inviting to those who come to worship. They were so polarized that it came to blows. And I'm not sure what, in terms of the, the build or the training or whatever it was, but the council president prevailed, pastor left, and they got their carpet. And they were looking for a new minister as well. But there's that sense in which we, we have to understand as people of faith that there is a struggle that we are called to join together in. And it's not one that's against the other, against the members of the house. But our struggle is, is to make sure that as many people can come into contact with the living word of God as is our ability to convey. So when we want to get caught up in particulars as to the number of committees that we might have and the nature of those committees or how we want to disseminate our funds or carpeting or any other sorts of adornments and things that create an inviting space but really don't have that much bearing on the notion of being able to get the gospel out of the pages of the Bible and into the hearts and minds of those who would hear it, when we get so caught in the minutia of being church, of looking church, we don't actually ever get around to actually being the people of God. And so Paul is trying to give a little moment of pause to the Philippians in particular and saying, listen, I cannot be with you right now because I'm in prison. I'm in prison because there have been those who have not wanted to hear what I have to say. 
This is the only reason that Paul would be in prison. The only reason that Paul would be in prison is not because he's out there and having fistfights over carpeting or having fistfights over who gets uh, this portion of the proceeds or who gets that portion of the gifts that are being offered. He is in prison because he went to proclaim the word to a group of individuals who no longer wanted to hear what he had to say. And the only way they could get him to stop was to beat him with rods and to throw him in chains. And they figured if they could at least take him out of public, people would stop gathering and he would stop holding up people in the marketplace proclaiming this Christ crucified and risen. So he has some time on his hands and he understands what's truly at stake. He understands that there are enemies of this message that he is called to bear. And what he wouldn't want for these Philippians is for them to go the way of destroying. It's not really his good work. He sowed the seeds. The good work is that of the Holy Spirit. The good work is the spirit that has brought these individuals together, given them like mind, a common interest, and a pursuit. And what he doesn't want them to do is to fragment and to start to become so particular about how to be the church that they stop being the church. No commentary that I could come across on this Philippians could tell us what this conflict might have been. They only gave us a hint that it might be something, it might have something to do with the way in which the gospel is proclaimed. Are we to be stationary church or are we to be wandering missionaries? But we do know that there is a disagreement between two prominent figures in this early church. And Paul says, if the community begins to see two leaders who are at odds, what's going to happen to the rest of the community who is looking to those leaders for their marching orders? So Paul says, let's go back and rethink and reassess what is our purpose when we decide to be a church. And this is something that this is just a good assignment for anyone who would dare to be the church. We ask ourselves, can we be people of faith apart from a community of faith? That's a good question. That's an excellent question. And I think that the reason that people pose that question is because they have found an attitude, they have found a demeanor in the communities of faith that they have come to dislike, sort of insular type approach where churches are more concerned about your resources and less about your, your soul and the, the pursuit of trying to pursue a life of faith. And so people say, well, I've stopped going to church because church became too judgmental, church became too commercial, church became this, it became that, it all became, you know, insert it with whatever adjective of dissent that you want to choose. Church became that, and so therefore people stopped. Now Paul would venture to say, we can think of ourselves as people of faith, but we cannot maximize nor can we achieve the height of our spiritual identity apart from a community. Christianity works in community. Jesus called disciples. Could he have done the work himself? Absolutely, he probably could have. But it, it, has, it has no teeth. 
The reason why it works is because when Jesus called disciples, he instructed them, and then he gave them, he empowered them to go forth in the community and to do as he was doing, to proclaim, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons, to feed, to clothe, to provide for the needs of individuals, and to bring about the reality of a living God, not just a God that simply exists in theory, but a God that actually manifests in some level of service. So there has to be some sort of communal exchange in order for the gospel to be felt. When we remove ourselves from the community of faith because we have been hurt by that community of faith, not only do we rob the community of faith of our vitality, but we also deny ourselves of the opportunity for the healing and the renewal that would come from a community that has been held accountable by the hurt that we perceive has been dealt upon us. Churches can only get stronger when the individuals who comprise that church work together. This is where Paul is taking us. Paul understands that right now, if he could be with them personally, he would happily go there. He would happily go there. He would sit down and say, I am going to mediate this disagreement. I'm going to hear Euodia's side. I'm going to hear Sinti's side. And we're going to sit here and we're going to work this out. And we're going to let the rest of the community listen in as we have this panel discussion about how to solve these things. But he can't be with them. So the only thing that he can do is give them the power of his words that they might read and reread and truly think about what is our collective pursuit as people of faith. If we become too fragmented, pretty soon the message of the gospel will get lost in our disagreements. It'll get lost in our particulars. And that happens. That happens in any church. That happens even in the healthiest of churches, that sometimes the talking points of the gospel and the opportunity to live the gospel gets lost in our humanity, gets lost in the offenses that have been dealt to us gets lost in our perception of what we think is fair play. So Paul brings us back to the reminder, and you have to have at least one individual within the community who can see the large picture, who can remember that, okay, there will be conflicts, there will be people who will want to leave church and for any number of reasons. But you have to have one individual in there who is not going to continue to fan those flames of dissent. Could you imagine what would happen if Paul wrote a different letter? If Paul wrote a letter that says, I understand that that there's some discord amongst you. Good. I'm glad. Go and take your party and start another church. Do not be resolved. Fragment. Double down. I'm with this person. If that took place what that would have done for the whole history of Christendom, because this is a very old letter. Many Christians have read this over generations. And I would even venture to say that many Christians in reading this letter have used this letter to heal their hurts. We have no idea how many congregations in history past were maybe on the brink of separating maybe on the brink of calling it a day, maybe on the brink of throwing it all entirely away, and then somebody went back and reread Philippians and says, hold on, hold on, the early church, they had some 
They had some discord as well, and this is what Paul's advice to them was. Remember our unity. Let our gentleness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, he says. But in everything, in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He brings it always back to the focus, which is our reason for gathering in the first place. Our reason for gathering is that the worship and the adoration of God, being able to have this entity before us upon which we can place our hurts and our hopes and say, God, without your guidance, without your leadership, I would come to ruin. I would be my worst self. I would speak all sorts of ill things and then I would assume that everyone was out to get me. But with the hope that God breathes into us, we don't have to live in states of paranoia. We don't have to look at everyone and say, what do they want from me? Who's trying to use me? We can be a community that advances the principles of the gospel. But it does take a singular figure to remind us that that has always been and always will be the focus of the church. We come together as a community of faith, as individuals. This is true. But when we come together as a community, we come with the hope that we will be like mind of like-minded spirit and pursuers of this gospel that gives new dimension to our life. Now, right now, because our community is operating mostly on remote and we are not in such close confines as, as we were at the beginning of the year, there's probably been less chance for us to get underneath one another's skin. You know how sometimes, you know, like a family, you just just kind of great on one another because you're constantly always around each other. The larger the community, the, the larger the chance of discord. But because of this little hiccup that we've had this year in the world, we have found a fondness for fellowship because we realize how important it has been to our life and to not have it. To not have it like we used to. I'm not saying that we ever took our fellowship for granted. I would never say that. Because I don't think we did. I think we truly enjoyed our Sundays and our Wednesdays together when we came together in fellowship and we would spill forth from the sanctuary in downstairs and we would have treats and we would stay long. Maybe even do a service project as, as they became available. So I, I would say that we enjoy our fellowship and the reason why we would come early and stay late is because we truly felt that in this community that we have established, we liked who we were. We, not only, it's not even a question of feeling good about oneself, but we liked what the company and what the companionship elicited in us. We didn't come to church because church reminded us of our frailty and our weakness and our constant misery. We came to church because we could have conversations that gave us encouragement and hope and humor. And we went into the week with uh, a lighter sense of being. There was a lightness of being. And Paul's trying to remind the Philippians of that lightness of being that they had when he was with them. 
He's like, when I was with you and we were working alongside and we were baptizing new believers and proclaiming the gospel of Christ, we saw the joy that that brought. We saw the joy that it brought to somebody who had not yet heard about Jesus Christ and then they heard about Christ and we got to be there at the formation. We got to see these individuals come into community and how their eyes were opened and the joy to realize that now here's a new individual who's been minted for Christ and now they're ready to serve. And that's the, the encouragement that we feel when we gather for our respective worship times and worship places. And that will happen again. We will, we will have those times again where our, our numbers, should anyone bother to come back, when our numbers increase, we will have that sense again. But I think that this momentary lapse of worship as we knew it is showing us the precious nature of what we have, the precious nature of community, the missing of individuals. And there will be individuals who won't come back for obvious reasons, not for obvious reasons because they're disgruntled, because the obvious reasons that some of them just won't be coming back because they're not with us anymore. So we have to be honest that during this time, as the seasons of life unfold for us, our community will be different when we are back in, in full. But the purpose for our gathering and the purpose for our very being does not change. I say that in order that we would have the understanding. The last thing we want to do when we are a full and fledged and functioning worshiping community again is to keep these words from Philippians firmly implanted in our minds so we would never fan another discord, we would never fan another disagreement. If we heard rumblings and grumblings about people being dissatisfied with things that are going on in the church, we would not feed that anger. So all too often we feel that the best way to support individuals is to commiserate with them when they're miserable. Don't join people in their misery. Don't, don't, that doesn't help them. It doesn't help them when you have a miserable person who's being misery and you jump on in there and you're miserable with them. I'm sorry, that doesn't help. Don't do that. That's caustic and it will hurt you. And it doesn't help them. You find a person who has a legitimate grievance, you say, hmm, let's explore this. Let's see if we can't turn this one around. Don't say, yeah, I hate him too. All those people are wrong. Scabs. I know that's a human inclination, but I'm trying to side with Paul here that Paul realizes that he needs to do damage control. Let's just call it what it is. This is Paul doing damage control in the fourth chapter of Philippians. It might be a small disagreement between these two women, but is Paul's eyes any disagreement amongst leadership when eyes are watching them is one disagreement too many. And so Paul realizes, because he understands people, Paul understands how folks are. He's like, if I don't write something about this, they're going to go sideways, and there's not going to be a community anymore. So I'm going to write them and tell them once again what their focus should be and how they should conduct themselves. And he closes it out here, at least in this today's pericope. He closes it out, finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
There's no negative talk in there. Everything is hope-laden speech. Everything is something that has a tomorrow written on it. It's hope the sun will rise again and that we will realize that we are friends and we will realize that we are partners in one of the most beautiful endeavors that two individuals could ever pursue. And he says, keep doing these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Let us pray. And Bob, if I could call for that name again. John Rickard. Thank you. Let us pray. Renewing God, we thank you for this invitation to present our concerns to you. And we thank you for the many blessings that we have witnessed and heard testimony of those who have been delivered. We come to you now for those who are sick and suffering, especially Bob's friend, John Rybarczyk, that you would be with John as 
He has to make some decisions now. And where he will reside and how to attend to his health. We know that you will continue to work with him and his family, that you will soothe his mind for a transition that he feels probably is coming too soon. You always carry us in transition. We don't necessarily always want to listen to you or meet you where you're at. But when we're through pushing against you, we do find that you settle us into our new existence. And we can actually find some peace. That is our prayer for John, that he will find peace in these decisions that are being handed down to him at this time. We ask that you continue to watch over his health as well as the health of those in our community who are ill, sick and suffering, or in recovery. Continue to bring assurances to those in the Delta who are cleaning up from yet another storm and from those on the West Coast still fighting intense fires. And for the discord that continues to unravel in pockets of our nation, we forget that we're in this together. Help us to, help us to venture to try to be of one mind Let it begin with us. We only have control over ourselves. We ask your blessings on those gathered here with us and remotely. Ask that you would hear their prayers as they set them before you today. In Jesus' name. Receive these prayers that we have set before you, God. Collect them into your care and let your blessing fall upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We covenant with the Lord and with one another 
and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, took bread, blessed it, and offered it to them saying, this is my body which has been given for you. Together they shared the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. We take the cup of life. Loving God, we thank you for your consecration. And we also thank you for this reminder. This reminder that comes to us from generations past that our goal is a common goal. Our goal is to take Christ embedded within us and to share him freely with the world and to not allow conflict, discord, differences to separate us from that common and noble goal, which is to allow everyone to partake of this incredible message of love and renewal. May you lift from us the veil of brokenness that we would not dwell upon it, that we would not get fixated upon the mistakes that we have made, but that you would whisper, and if need be, shout into us the fullness of our capacity, the gifts that we have right now that can and will make a difference in this world. And let us freely utilize those gifts to bless the world. Amen. Please rise for the blessing.
And now may the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you in peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.